the number one mistake, and I see this all the time, and it is it is absolutely criminal when it happens. You get a lead, and you don't do anything with it. There's no follow up. There's no phone call. There's no email sequence that goes out, and it just sits there, and sits there, and then dies. Welcome to the More Than Corporate Podcast. I'm Amber Furman, recovering perfectionist and serial accomplisher. If you're anything like I used to be, you've been living your life thinking that if you accomplish enough stuff, you'll finally find the success you've always wanted. But what if it's not about accomplishing more stuff? What if it's about accomplishing the right stuff? I believe you don't find success. You create it by intentionally designing the life you want and having the courage to get out of your comfort zone to live your design. I went from doing what I was supposed to do to doing what I love to do, and now I get to help others do the same. Keep listening as I chat with inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day and learn how you too can live the life you've always wanted. Welcome back to another episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. As always, I'm really excited to bring to you an amazing guest who's going to be able to give us some insight into what success looks like for him and what his journey has been like from the growth that he has experienced in his life to the professional and entrepreneur that he has become today. Um, Today, we have an amazing interview with Tom Jacobs. Tom has, to say that Tom has been through a few things in his 30 plus years of being an entrepreneur is quite an understatement. He's had more failures than successes, but wouldn't have it any other way. And I'm personally super excited to dig into this because I think there's so many people listening to this that fall into that trap of being afraid of failure instead of understanding that failure is that path to success that we need so much. In 2017, Tom sold his fitness business, which he owned for nine years, to become the impact pilot, helping entrepreneurs generate more income through better sales conversation strategies and using stories to sell. Tom has a BFA degree in theater from DePaul University in Chicago, and he holds his private pilot's license for single engine airplanes, and he's scuba scuba certified. He has licenses for land, sea, and air, which always come in handy during the um, upcoming apocalypse that we're always afraid of. So I'm super excited to dig into this episode with Tom. Before we do that, I want to take just a minute to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Success Development Solutions, and the Break Your Bullshit Box group coaching program. As you know, we all have that bullshit box that we fill up with all of our excuses, all of the things that we use to convince ourselves that we're not good enough, we're not strong enough, it's not, this isn't supposed to happen to us, we're not ready, we don't know enough. Whatever that excuse is that's been holding you back, it is time for us to break that out so that you can have the success that you not only want to have, but honestly deserve to have. So if you feel like your business has reached a point where it's plateaued, or maybe you haven't even gotten it off the ground yet and you've been holding yourself back, let's break through all of those issues, all of those excuses, and get you to where you want to be. If this sounds like the support that you want, head over to successdevelopmentsolutions.com, book a call with me, and let's get you on the way to the life that you have always dreamed of and deserve to have. 
with that being said, let's go ahead and jump into this conversation with Tom. Tom, thanks so much for being here. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Amber. Thanks for having me. I am really excited. I am totally intrigued by so much that you do. Um, the entrepreneurial side, of course, and I'm super excited to dig into that. Um, but I have been putting off getting my pilot's license for the last 30 years. And oh I God. finally gifted myself my pilot's license for my 40th birthday and started lessons. And I'm so excited about that. So when I saw that that is what you had wrapped your business around, I couldn't wait to talk to you. Awesome. That's great. How many hours do you have so far? Um, none. So <laughs> I have my test flight, um, but I'm going to wait till after Christmas to get really, really started and serious about All it. Right. But I'm super awesome. excited. Oh, it's yeah. such a great experience. There's nothing like uh, flying. So. Yeah, except for yeah. entrepreneurism, right? Where we get to ah. go up and down and feel like we're <laughs> sometimes hanging out there without a parachute, right? Uh, that's so true. So true. <laughs> So tell me how, and we're going to kind of work backwards a little bit for this, because mm. normally I start with um, kind of who Tom was growing up, but I'm really curious to know, how did you take this love of flying and this pilot side of you and wrap that into the business side and create that impact pilot um, brand? What was that conversation like? Because I think a lot of people struggle with that. Yeah, that's a really that's a really good question. Actually, it, was, it came from a mentor of mine who really spoke about niching down and understanding who your you know audience is or who your ideal client is, and then kind of what your your own passions were. And so I really I kind of thought about it. I was like, well, I, I love flying, and there's so many similarities between how you run a business and how you navigate in the, the skies there's, you know, if you're going from Chicago to Los Angeles or Las Vegas, if you start off and you're, you're one degree off, you know, it's no big deal, but the further you fly, the further you fly for you to fly, you're going to be in San Francisco or Seattle. If you're continue that, if you're off track yeah. for too long, just like in business, if you aren't knowing your numbers every month or every week, and you don't, notice trends that might keep you derailed to getting to your ultimate goal, then if you don't make course corrections along the way, you'll never get to that goal. Yeah, I think that that's so important for people to understand. And what I love so much about what you've done is this course correction idea is something that people have, I think, too often underestimated because they've just thought, um, I'll, I'll make the adjustments when I need to. I'll make the adjustments when I realize that I'm on off course. And a lot of times by the time we realize we're off course, it's way too late for minor adjustments. Um, but the other thing that I think is so incredibly important that I think people overlook is that starting point, right? Mm -hmm. I think all too often we want to overestimate where we're starting because it makes us feel better about our journey. And yeah. so when when you talk about this impact pilot, that's the things that I see the most of is hmm. make the corrections while you can and be honest about where you're starting. What have you experienced in, in your business and working with clients as far as that honesty about where you're starting and how have you counseled them? That's, that's, that's really great. Like there's so many um, 
kind of, you know, because my niche is really helping with people with sales process and, and, um, making sure that they're doing conversions during their sales and, and all that and, and speaking from the stage and a lot of people like that has a lot of fear both of those sales and speaking have a lot of fear to it when when you know people start to do it or transition from you know corporate to being an entrepreneur and when i when i speak to clients that especially for that stage work that you know giving presentations it's it's really just understanding where that fear is coming from and what they're so afraid of in terms of sharing their knowledge with a, a large audience. And so it's, it's understanding kind of, again, like where you're starting from, but getting just you know, like, it's okay, wherever you start from, you have a goal to ultimately get to. So what are the steps necessary to get there? Yeah, absolutely. So you, um, were at some point in time in the fitness industry. Is that always what you wanted to do was be in the fitness industry or how did that all happen for you? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, um, back in, in high school and, and early on, I wanted to, well, I, I played music. So I played a violin for, since I was four years old. And so it was very good. And um, all the way through high school and, and I, I, thought I wanted to get into arts management. So, you know, learning how to manage a, a symphony orchestra or uh, a play or something like that. And that, that morphed into theater management, which is what I ultimately uh, got my degree in. But it, um, <laughs> when, I, when I think about that degree, I'm like, how am I ever gonna use a theater management degree and support my three worst habits, eating and, or two worst habits, eating and living. <laughs> so <laughs> I need to like build some different skills as well to be able to um, really market myself as, as somebody different in the, in the marketplace as I was looking for a job early on. Yeah. That, how am I ever going to use this is something that I think we've all suffered from and you know particularly for people who have a degree um like myself who have gone to law school or who have a career in a postgraduate profession and they start thinking where else am i ever going to use this can you mm -hmm. talk for just a minute about how you've been able to take things from all the experiences that you've had to create the amazing business that you have now? Yeah. Um, it, having, you know, that, that theater management degree, it kind of combined it two things, one management. So I, I learned all about, you know, managing people, managing contracts, legal stuff and all that. And then the performance aspect of it as well. And kind of the backstage and, and, and all the creativeness that comes along with theater and combining that, it, it was, it was, um, as, as my journey was kind of progressing and, um, going through, I, I, I had to have other jobs to support school and, and support myself. And so I, I did a lot of temping work while I was in, in the summer times and during breaks. And I ended up just, I, I was, I always was used to computers as well. So like I was really fast typist. I knew Excel and, and all these, you know, back in the nineties and people, they were like, why, you, you, you know, Excel. Yeah. Great. And we're like, 
doing special spreadsheets and I ended up working at Amoco Chemicals for uh, the first five years out of school because I had these skills that were stacked and, and it had nothing to do obviously with, with theater, but just applying what I'd learned through real life experience and then fast forward, you know, 30 years now after, after school. And I was like, how am I ever going to use my theater degree? Well, I'm coaching people on how to perform their presentations and communicate appropriately with the stage or on a podcast or video or YouTube. And that's, I'm like, well, that's exactly what I was doing in theater school, you know, 30 years ago was directing and understanding the performance aspect. So, you know, it it, it really doesn't matter. I, my parents were right about this. And I don't know if your parents told you this as well, but it's it doesn't matter what your degree is in as long as you get a degree. Yes. And you can still use all that that you've learned. But, you know, in today's world, I probably wouldn't go back to college. Yeah, I struggle with that a lot. Because I'm the first person in my family to go to college and I went on to law school and all of the things. And then I have um, two brothers with college degrees um, that are in something. I'm not sure. I One of them is biochemistry because he wanted to be a doctor. Um, but I look at the life that they're living. One's an insurance agent and one works for a factory doing biochemistry stuff because he's smart and understands what that means. Um, and I look at my life and I'm like, first of all, let me preface this by saying I am very happy with my life. Um, I think I would also be very happy in a different life, if that makes any sense at all. And I feel like when we have this conversation, so many people are afraid to go down this road because they say, Mm -hmm. oh, if I say this, then it means that I'm not happy with where I am now and that I regret my life choices. And this is why I have this conversation because it doesn't have to be this burn everything that you've done so far and start over. You get to build on it. And it reminds me of a conversation in law school my first semester where this person came in and started to tell us about all the things that we could do with our law degree besides practice law. And I was like, what the hell is the purpose of this? Why would anybody go through all of this crap and then not practice law? Well, I just hit 11 years of practicing and I really wish I would have listened to that conversation. As an entrepreneur, I found my own way. But it would have been really awesome to be reminded that it doesn't have to be traditional legal work. So for you, looking at all of the experiences that you have and what you're doing now, what do you think is the most surprising correlation that you never would have expected that you use as much as you do? Uh, Definitely the the performance aspect. Is it like going, I was obviously worked in corporate for uh, 10 plus years. I think it was like 11 years. I call it corporate jail. I was in corporate jail for for 11 years. And in, in that time, um, you know, I was building these, these skills, but it also came back to all the things that I tried as a, as a kid. And one of the things that really does surprise me is that 
when I'm doing sales coaching and sales training, and even when I was actually doing sales, and I think we're always doing sales, but I was like, my growing up kind of upbringing was never to like a salesperson ever. And yet we're always selling. So when I actually had to start selling for my, my fitness business, you know, it was a very, uh, it was a huge struggle. And so I had to like dig into the kind of that, that, that performance aspect of, okay, okay, who's, who's this character, you know, the death of a salesman. Okay, great. I can kind of get into that and, and take myself out of the fear of selling and almost create a new character for myself. Did and you find that that, was, that helped? Yeah. Having absolutely. like that alter ego. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I've never thought about trying that before. I've, I mean, you're not the first person to have said it, although you're the first person to have said it like that from like a theater mm -hmm. background. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that that could be so incredibly valuable because I think one of the biggest fears, and you can correct me if um, I'm wrong because you're the sales expert here. Um, but one of the biggest fears when people start selling is like, what's going to happen if people say no? Or are they saying no to me? Are they rejecting me or are they rejecting my product? And if you can literally take you out of the equation by creating this alter ego, it's genius. Absolutely. Absolutely. So talk about that a little bit. How do people effectuate that? Mm. Well, I mean, that, that no, right? So we hate rejection. That's one of our, our biggest fears as humans is the fear of rejection. And when you, you're, if you're selling for somebody else and somebody else's product or just a product in general, you know, I want to sell you this phone. It's, it's a phone. It's a thing. But when you have a service that you provide to other people and they say, no, I don't want your service, it really mm -hmm. does feel like, no, I don't want you. So if you can think in your mind, again, just kind of take yourself out of your own self or create a product and really think about what your service is, it really is a product. And you're just, some people are going to like it. Some people aren't. So, you know, focus on the people that most likely will like your product and, and go for those. Yeah. And how, so when you're working with a client, how, um, <laughs> I wish I would have learned earlier that it, as much as I would have liked my friends and family who are closest and are going to support me to be the person that loved my product, that the chances of that being the case were almost non-existent and nothing mm -hmm. to take away from friends and family because they are supportive in their own way. But I feel like one of the biggest mistakes that people make is they start selling a product and the first person that they start calling are the people that are already in their Rolodex as their closest friends and family because they should support me. Um, mm -hmm. You talk a lot about how to effectively nurture leads. And I'm mm -hmm. interested to know how you address this with your clients that are trying to sell to their friends and family that aren't their target market. Yeah. Just don't do it. <laughs> like, <'cause laughs> I mean, that's a great way to alienate friends and family. If, yeah. and, and especially, you know, like serial entrepreneurs, right? We, like we love to go from one thing to the next, to the next. And if you're always going back to the same people, even if your product is radically different, you're going to like, 
what are you doing? Like they're, they're going to be yeah. confused about what it is that you actually do and the problem that you solve. So yeah. when I'm coaching with clients, we really do focus on what's the problem that you're solving and how does that relate to a certain target market? And then just, you know, do everything necessary, all the different marketing stuff that you do to attract that target market. Because if you go after everybody, you're really going after nobody. Yeah. How does that fit in with this need that I know that I have and so many other people have to not exclude anybody because we love all the people? I know. That's great. Yeah. I can help anybody. Like anybody. Yes. In so I'll give you a little story. So I was obviously doing networking to build my business, build my brand. And so <laughs> okay. Hold on. Before you tell your story, I need to know your networking story because the way that you just said networking makes me think that there's something behind your belief of networking. Well, I hate, I'm an introvert. So like, I don't <laughs> like being around other people, right? So, Got it. I'm like, what is it about networking that just caused your head to bobble and your, so, okay, cool. That makes sense well, now. A lot of anxiety around, around <laughs> networking. I wasn't doing my good acting, I guess, for that. <laughs> no, I love it. Okay. So you're out networking. Yeah. So it, yeah. I go to like BNI groups. So, so I joined yeah. the BNI group. So every Wednesday morning, 730, go up to your 30 second spiel and all that. And when I started the impact pilot, I and, and I was like, okay, who's my niche? Who am I going to go after for sales training? And so I had to come up with my 30-second pitch. And so I, I started with, you know, I'm, hi, I'm in the impact pilot. Um, I help small business owners improve their sales process and teach their, their staff to sell better. If you're interested, see me after and here's my business card, right? And after, you know, like two months of doing that, I got like zero referrals from my fellow BNIers. And I was like, wow, that's like, what can I change? And that's when like I, I really dove deep into the niche marketing. And then my, I was like, oh, who am I going to go after? Okay. I know some insurance agents and I kind of know what their pain point is. And sales is definitely a big thing for insurance agents. So I, in the next meeting that I go to, I say, my name is Tom. I'm the impact pilot. I help insurance agents improve their sales process and train their sales staff so that they can convert more leads into sales. If you know anybody that's an insurance agent, I'd love to talk to you about converting more leads into sales. You know what? Three people that day came up to me for referrals. None of them were insurance agents. Yeah. Because I was very specific and a specialist, what really killed me was, you know, people came up and said, wow, Tom, this is a really great service that you're offering. And, you know, I have a mold remediation company. Do you think you could help me? And looking yeah. at this guy, I'm like, you've been here for the last <laughs> 12 weeks that I've been saying I can help small business owners. You're a small business owner. So why haven't you talked to me before? You know, and it was the same for the accountant that came to me and, and the other folks. And I was like, this, this is crazy. But when you niche down, you aren't excluding anybody. You're just saying who you really can help. And then other yeah. people are saying, well, if you can help that person, I'm sure you could help me. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important. Be somebody once said to me, and this is the harshest way I've ever seen it put, but sometimes I'm the type of person that needs the two by four. Um, somebody once said to me, nobody cares who you are until they know how you can help them. 
Yes. Nobody and and in my networking experiences, this is one hundred percent true. How many times have we been in conversation with somebody that you're talking and you introduce your name and they introduce their name and then you're telling them what you do and all of a sudden you say something and you see them perk up and they're like, wait a minute, what was your name again? Like now all of a sudden they they care, right? And mm-hmm. not to say that they didn't care before, but they care more now because you just said something that they want more of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think yeah. when you niche down like that, you say something that causes them or allows them to insert themselves into your conversation, which I think is incredibly important. So what do you think are the biggest mistakes that people make? You know, you talk about effectively nurturing leads. What do you think are the biggest mistakes people make when they're dealing with, with leads that they get from the multiple sources of lead gen that they should have running? (laughs) The number one mistake and I see this all the time, and it is it is absolutely criminal when it happens. You get a lead, and you don't do anything with it. There's no follow-up. There's no phone call. There's no email sequence that goes out, and it just sits there and sits there and then dies. Follow-up has to start within five minutes of that lead coming to you. You have, you have actually 20 minutes to get that lead on the phone and book a consultation. After that, wow. it gets cold, it gets cold fast. And where are they, where do you think they're going next? Down the list on Google. You know, who, who's the next competitor? Who's the next attorney I need to go see? Who's the next doctor I want to go see? And you call them back the next day and they're like, how'd you get my number? Why are you calling me? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> who are you? Yeah. So it, yeah, it's, I experience that in my law firm all the time. Consistent. I feel like you're talking directly to me. My um, my marketing agency is going to listen to this podcast because he listens to all my podcasts, mm-hmm. and he's going to hear you tell me to follow up with the leads that he's getting for me. And he's going to be like, see Amber, like do your job. Um, I know that he is, we have a meeting tomorrow and I know the whole conversation of the meeting is going to be, why don't you, like I told you follow up with your leads. Um, So you talked about a couple of different things. You talked about email sequences. You talked about getting them on the phone. And I know that, what you do with the particular lead is going to depend on not only your industry, but also the specific goals that you have for that particular product or that particular lead. But I mean, how many times do you think that person needs to be touched in order for them to then start to move from lead into like a real true prospect? Um, What, what does that look like? Yeah. So you know, besides my sales coaching, I also have a call center and we book appointments. And over the last two years, we've booked over 10,000 appointments and had close to 200,000 leads come through our system to, and and we we put them all into a 30-day call process where we touch them 13 times over that 30-day process to try to book the appointment for our client. On average, 10 touches to get somebody on the phone, even when they've proactively filled out a form saying, I want a consultation. Wow. Yeah. 
And what, how do, how do you handle, because this is, and I love asking questions that are like most common mistakes I see when in my head I'm just going through the list of shit that I deal with. Um, but, well, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Right? Welcome to the joys. If you've ever wondered why you should have a podcast, it is because you get to talk to amazing people like Tom about how to solve all your problems. Um, so... But I think one of I think a very serious problem that exists for others, not just myself, is um, the complete no show rate that happens with people who mm -hmm. do book calls. So you you they fill out a form, they make some sort of contact to say that they're interested. Maybe they download a lead magnet, maybe they see you on a Facebook ad that you're running or or whatever, and they make contact with you. And then you have these average of ten touches to get them on a call. What's your experience of how many people actually show up for that? And then how does that happen from there as far as the continued follow-up? Because I feel like this is the places that so many people give up. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's a couple pieces there, right? You, I always break it down into what are the conversion points? So somebody's scrolling through Facebook, they see your ad, they stop. That's a convergence point. So that's an impression. Once they stop, then the next conversion is, did they click? And the next conversion is, did they fill in the form? The next is, did they book the appointment that's on the landing page? And you just break it down into all those conversion pieces and then mm -hmm. look at where the conversion needs to increase and just kind of reverse engineer it back back to that. Um, but again, like when the if, if the leads are coming in, like they need to be responded to immediately. Uh, when I had my fitness business, uh, I, I struggled with that because I was on the floor training people and leads would come in and then it would be eight o'clock at night and I'd be tired. And I'm like, ah, oh, they probably won't even answer their phone. And it really hit home one time when I, I called somebody at eight o'clock. I was done at the gym. I was in my car and I was just like, ah, oh, so tired. And I called this guy and booked the appointment. He came in signed up for like three days a week of private training. It was like a thousand dollars a month. And he was a client of mine for two and a half years. And I thought back, I was like, you know what? Had I not contacted him, had I not gotten on the phone when he had, you know, filled his form on, in, in, on, on the internet, that would have been a $36,000 mistake. Mm -hmm. And he was like, became a really close friend of mine as well. And a business consultant. And it was just, it was a great relationship where you, know, you go back and you're like, what if that had never happened? Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk for just a minute about that person who um, has a product or service. They have a pipeline. Maybe they've been posting to social media. Maybe they've been um, doing a newsletter. Who knows what that is? They have a pipeline. Um that they haven't really engaged. Mm. Now they want to start engaging this pipeline. And the biggest mistake that I think most people would make is they would start saying, Hey, I have this offer. And this is not me. This is not my biggest mistake. Um, only because I have a guidance that told me not to do this. No. Um, <laughs> is there like, Oh, I have this offer. I'm sure you want to take advantage of this. 
how do you, I'm going to lovingly say, call up that ex that you haven't talked to, you know, the, the date that you ghosted, even though you were really interested in going out with them um, and haven't had any conversation with for the last six months since they told you they were interested and then try to re-engage them without feeling like that sleazy used car salesman that all of us want to avoid. Yep. Yeah. So it, it all comes down to providing value first. And that, that should be in, in business in general. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs uh, or solopreneurs forget that, that it's all about the value that you're providing and the solution that you're providing for the problem. Um, so like every email that I write, that I've written, always has a little bit of a story element to it. And so, and then at the end of the story, I always tie it back to, my product or service. So it's, a, you know, infotainment, if you will. And, so, and, and stories, stories sell, right? Everybody mm -hmm. loves a story. So, you know, you have them read the story, they laugh, they cry, they see at the bottom that you offer storytelling solutions and sales training. If it piques their interest, great. Then, but they had a good laugh or they learned something new from your newsletter. You mm -hmm. know, it, so I think that's, that's the key is, always providing value first and infotainment and then have a, a soft call to action to warm up that list. Once that list is warmed up and you're getting some people that are replying to your emails, then you can start to introduce some hard offers, so some hard calls to action. And, you know, it's amazing what will happen. Um, I heard a statistic that you should expect a dollar for every email address that you have per month mm. in revenue. So if you have a list of a thousand people, you should be getting about a thousand dollars a month from your list. Interesting. So let's, um, I'm going to have you take off the the lead nurturing hat for just a second mm. and put on the sales training hat for just a second. So this idea of value, I know, right? right. This idea of value is so incredibly important. Where does that line stop? Because as the sales mm. trainer in you, how many times have you seen the person that says, I want to give you value before I ask you for anything? So here's my 47 step process to how to accomplish your goals. And then they're surprised that nobody buys anything from them. Where yeah. does that value line stop? And what does value constitute to in your mind? Well, I, I think it's, it's, it's a very subjective thing, right? You, but understanding who your ideal client is, ideal prospect, you would understand what their, what their pain points are and what they're really looking after. Um, but yeah, gone are the days where you get the 300 page PDF download <laughs> and you're like, who the hell has time to read all this? Yes. And, and now any of my lead magnets are like, five pages and it's, uh, the three points that you need to do or the five things or seven things, you know, just keep it short and simple so that it's easily digestible. And I think yeah. that's, that's the key. And, and even the emails don't have to be long and drawn out. They can be, they should be <laughs> fairly short, you know, so that it's impactful for people. They're like, Oh yeah, cool. And there's a call to action um, and, and good, good value that doesn't take a lot of time to get to. Yeah. The only place that I think I could see that long lead magnet working is in a done for you service. Yeah. If you want to use it in like a 
strategy to be like, I sent you all the things I would do for you. And I'm sure you haven't even read it yet. So let me just do it for you because clearly you don't have time. Right. Which is, which is a real service that so Mm -hmm. many people are sometimes looking for. I have a good friend of mine who does, um, he's a former contractor and he um, created a business helping people figure out how to communicate with their contractor because he was realizing that people were like, <laughs> a couple things were happening. Either they were hiring a contractor that was not up to par or they had done that in the past and they were um, a little gun shy. So they decided they were going to do the project themselves. And then when they didn't have any walls um, and they didn't have any tile on the floor, they decided to bring in a contractor who now had to fix everything. So his entire product and service is like, you shouldn't do this yourself, Mm. but if you're going to do it yourself, here's how you do it. Right. And so it's like every single one is like, you shouldn't do it yourself. But if you're going to do it, here's how you should do it. And if you're going to take my advice, here's how you should communicate with your contractor. Right. And so I love that aspect of being human Mm. and saying, hey, like, I've been doing this for a really long time and I could get it done for you faster and I could get it done for you better. But if you insist on doing it yourself, here's how I can help you go down that path, too. And here's how you hire somebody to fix it when it doesn't go as planned. I think all of those stages are stages that I know I've been guilty of missing in the past. Um, Tying this all together with your networking conversation and the lead generation and then the sales is I, I feel like all too often we as service providers forget that we know exponentially more about our product and service than anybody else does. And so we immediately go to solution mode instead of starting at problem mode. What are some pieces of advice that you have for people of how to take off their solution hat and put on their problem hat when they're dealing with lead generation? Yeah, or even on the the sales call itself. I think that's where the problem comes. And you know, I always used to get into coach mode on a sales call. Yeah, me too. And you know, surprise, surprise, I didn't make any sales doing that yeah. <laughs> because you're 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 not showing what the problem is. You're solving the yeah. problem on and and in a thirty minute conversation, you're not going to solve the problem, right? Like, you're gonna what you're doing is you're giving them a false sense that mm-hmm. the problem now is magically solved in in thirty minutes. So. It's all about asking the right questions in the right order. So those questions are what, why, what, why? It's a, mm. it's a new Chinese dish that I'm working on. What, why, what, why? <laughs> so, um, and that's that you want to always ask, what's the goal? What's the end point that you want to, want to go after? Why is that important to get there? What have you tried in the past to get to that goal? And why is now the right time for you to make Mm. change. Those are all so important. Mm. Yeah. And then you just, you drill down into those, but like that gets people really engaged in what the problem is. And they're telling you the salesperson that they need you and your product. And then all you need to do is just do a short presentation. Like, Oh, well, I have the solution for that problem. Here it is. Yeah. You know, that flexibility is so incredibly 
important. And I remember the first time that I experienced that because I had always been like, I am a success coach. I work with attorneys. I work with doctors. I work with lawyers. Like that's what I do. Um, and then I was at a bar and I was talking to somebody in Austin and cool. she's like, um, I'm a real estate agent. Did you say that you're an accountability coach? And all of a sudden I was like, why, why, yes, I did say that. Like when, when I had to step back, I was like, I could make the mistake that I've always made in the past of yeah. saying, no, I'm not an accountability coach. I help attorney. I don't help real estate agents. Right. right. I help attorneys and doctors. And I mean, am I accountability coach? I don't know. I guess I do these things, but instead it was just like, wait, you need an accountability coach. I know how to be an accountability coach. Why, yes, that's exactly what I just told you that I did, right? <laughs> and I feel like it's so simple, mm. and yet we mess it up so many times. Yeah. And, and, you know, in that introduction, too, that was another thing that I learned in my BNI days. Uh, <laughs> it brings back so much, so many fond memories. But when, when, you, when you tell people, like, what you do, they already have a preconceived notion. Mm. Of what Especially that is. Especially when it has the word coach in it. Yeah. Yeah. Or lawyer or yes. doctor or yes. personal trainer. And yes. when I was networking for my personal training business, it was, hi, I'm Tom. I'm a personal trainer. And they're like, you're a personal trainer. <laughs> it's like, you're not all jacked up. And, you know, yeah. they, they already have this preconceived notion of what you do and how you do it versus saying, Hi, I'm Tom. I help women over 30 lose weight and feel great. Yeah. Now it's like, oh, interesting. How do you do that? Oh, I have a personal training facility. It's over here, blah, blah, blah. And now we have a real conversation versus, oh, you know, he's probably going to make me do steroids and push-ups all day long. Yes, you know, burpees and all the yes. things I don't want to do. Yeah. Yes. You know, I unintentionally created that and I it was entirely unintentional. I was falling down the trap that too many new business owners and entrepreneurs fall into where I was trying to be all creative and cool with my titles um, and, and thinking that what I named something was automatically going to make it better than if it was just like the coaching program that I don't have a name for, but will get you massive results. Um, so <laughs> I um, branded myself, which is always so funny to say because I am, your brand really is what other people think it is, not what you think it is. But I started calling myself a success architect. Oh. And um, there were all these reasons for why I had done that. But what I didn't expect was the natural response of what the hell is that? What does that mean? Great. And I was like, wait a minute. I unintentionally created ambiguity about what I did mm. that yeah. requires people to ask me, what that is that allows me to tell them what I do. Yeah. And I was trying to do the exact opposite of being very specific, right? right. Um, so that, that what does that mean question? I think anything mm. that we can do that can get a client to ask, that's interesting, what does that mean? Yeah. Is yeah, yeah. gold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that's and, amazing. And it comes back to what's the problem that you're solving for that person and especially at a, in a networking event like i would tailor that to the person that i'm talking to as well yeah. so you know i have a, a man in his 50s that is talking to me 
And he goes, oh, yeah, Tom, so what is it that you do? And it's like, well, you know, I help men over 50 get fit and feel like they're in high school again. What is it that you do, John? And then he's going, <laughs> um, tell me, tell me more about that. Like, what, what is it yeah. that you do? Oh, yeah. So I, I'm, I own a personal training facility. We do, do nutrition and diet and, of course, exercise to make sure that, you know, men over 50 are fit. Oh, oh that's, do you have a card? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and this is the other little networking trick that I would do. I was like, oh, you know what? I don't have a card. But if if you have a card or could, could, I, yes. could I just have your phone number? Yeah. Well, you got the phone number. You're calling oh. them up. You got a new client. I had this like adverse reaction to phone numbers for the longest time. Um, and, and I would never use them ever. And it was yeah. like. No, 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 Tom, it, you don't understand. It was bad. Like people would call me and be like, hey, what's your um, cousin's phone number? And be like, I don't know. I just talked to him on Facebook. Like yeah. I, it, even my family members, I was like, I don't know. Yeah. And then I was like, why am I not using this thing? Right? Like, why am I not using this um, to actually have conversations? So that's number one about what you said that I totally relate to. And the other thing is it took me so long to realize that what problem do you solve can only be answered when they tell you what problem they have. Right? Yeah. So when someone's like, what problem do you solve? I don't know. What problem do you have? Yeah. And then I'll tell you if I solve it or not. Because I could run down the list of the 97,000 problems that I solve. And you're going to get lost at number two and stop listening to me because your problem is 97,001. Right. So you just tell me what you need. But this mm -hmm. requires, and I think this is where we lose so much because I think this is the other big challenge we get to overcome is we as humans and as consumers have been burned so badly mm -hmm. that this idea of tell me what your problem is and I'll tell you if I can solve it requires a level of honesty with ourselves about whether we can actually solve that problem that I think a lot of people sometimes don't have with themselves. So how do we bridge that gap with potential clients to let them know that we truly authentically, diligently and successfully can solve their problems without them believing that we're just selling snake oil. Yeah. So I was, it, it, you know, it comes back to the sales conversation and doing, doing the, the discovery questions uh, that, you know, finding out more about that person and, and what their, what their problems are. And so it's, you know, it's like, yeah, maybe like, but let's have a conversation about what's going on in your business. And then if I feel like it's a fit, yeah. Then I can show you what I do. And then, you know, if it makes sense, then we can go ahead and get, get you scheduled to start at the end of the conversation or get you set up. And that's typically how I lay out the, the agenda for the conversation. Because I want to, you know, if they say, well, can you solve my problem? It's like, well, let's have a conversation. Let's talk about like what's going on in your business today, where you want to take it. And let's see if I can help you fill that gap. If I can, that's great. If I can't, maybe I can point you into another direction. Yeah. And it's a very disarming conversation then because it takes down that wall, that adversarial wall. You're just trying to sell me something yeah. You know that we were always taught that, but that's, that's not the today's salespeople. It shouldn't be. 
It shouldn't be. Um, I think there's still some old school classes out there that, um, and uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. I'm curious to know for you too, because I know for me, the moment that I started um, focusing on sales and communication and human behavior, mm -hmm. um, the car lots became my favorite place to go. I'd be like, I'm having a bad day. Just want to go hang out on a car lot for a little bit. Um, and like, and oh, it, I know it sounds so bad, no. but it just like, or poker rooms. I love going to oh, poker rooms, being here in Vegas yeah. and watching the way people interact with each other. Mm. and the way that they <laughs> they show up because all of that is so important in business and i think we disconnect them all too yeah. often i go to um timeshare sales uh, yes that's my guilty pleasure yes because because those people like that is a job like the scripting and the skill set to be able to take people who are on vacation Sit them yeah. in a room for an hour and you know, tease them with a free dinner or with a free dinner know, or a free show or a massage, yeah. right? Yeah. $100 credit at craft's table. <laughs> and then have rejection like left and right. And, but like I've learned so much from observing those salespeople, yeah. both the good ones and the bad ones. Yeah. And for anybody who listens to this, it's like, Amber, that's just wasting someone's time. I don't necessarily engage with the salespeople. I just like to watch, right? Like I am all for not wasting anybody's time. But ironically, um, when I bought my, I just bought a forerunner last year. And when I bought my forerunner, it was the first time I had ever bought a vehicle where the conversation became more about the sales experience than it did about mm -hmm. the actual financial side of it. Right. Yeah. Um, and I had never, because I hadn't had the training on human behavior that I have, I had never understood why it was that I could meet somebody and it didn't matter whether they were going to sell me like a Fred Flintstone car that I had to power my, with my own two feet. Um, I was going to buy something from them. Yeah. Um, and why somebody else could have, and this actually happened, the exact car that I wanted on their lot. And there's nothing that they could possibly say that would make me buy that car, even though I knew it's exactly what I went for. Yeah. Um, and when we understand that, I just, I think especially for highly intelligent people, which most business owners and entrepreneurs are, we know that time is important. We don't want to waste your time. We don't want to waste ours. So let's just get to the bottom of what needs to happen. Mm. But that dance in between there is so incredibly important to building trust. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I just had a sales call the other day that was just like that. It was like, oh, you know, I don't want to waste your time, Tom. So just tell me the brass tacks. Like, what's what's the bottom line here? I'm like, bottom line to what? I don't even know what your problem <laughs> is yet. So how, yeah. how are we going to get to a solution if I don't understand your business and your pain point? And then so I can kind of tailor the conversation to that. And that's that's kind of how I na navigated that that sale, that, that question. Because clearly you just want to know the price. Well, the price doesn't mean anything without context. And, yes. and the presentation doesn't mean anything unless you're addressing it to the problem that they've told you that they have. 
So it's yes. like you always have to get back to the problem and, and elevate that problem so that you can solve it for them. Not, and not, not sell them. Because I always say that you're not really selling to people. You're allowing them to buy from you. Yes, absolutely. Nobody wants to be sold. And I think no. that that price is only relevant in that context is so incredibly important as well because because people forget that. And, and also, I think a lot of people as buyers and consumers will use that price as a justification for why they can't afford a solution without knowing, you know, like for example, I may have a $7,000 package, but I also may have, um, no interest payment plans. And I may break that down for you, but we don't ever get into that conversation because they see that big number and they're like, Oh, I don't even want to have the conversation with you. Um, this is kind of the, the pros and cons of, you know, giving prices up front. You know, I run my law office in a way where we won't release pricing information until I meet with a client. And part of that is because I've been completely burned by that. And then I find out that their problem is seven times more difficult than what they told me it was. And now I'm like, well, I already told you this. So I got to honor it. Like I was a baby attorney when I made that mistake. Um, (laughs) So I think that's incredibly important as well. You and I could talk forever. And also, I don't want you to give away all of your amazing secrets that I know people could find from your resources. So if somebody wants to continue this conversation and they are um, completely interested in all of the things that we've talked about, sales and lead generation, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Yeah, like I'm on all the social platforms, of course, especially TikTok. So you can see my fancy dance moves there. But the part <laughs> of that is if, if somebody's interested in, in sales and knowing like the three steps, the three, I call it the three keys to improving sales, then uh, my website would be the best option for that. So it'd be tomjacobs.com. It's J-A-C-K-O-B-S.com slash three keys. And there's a little workbook that I have that will help you break down your sales process so that you can uh, increase your sales over the next six months. I love that. Um, Before we wrap up, I do want to switch to a success element part of this podcast for just a minute. I ask every single one of my guests this question. I believe it is the most under asked question in business. And it is, what does success mean to you? What does it mean to you to have success in your personal life? Or not in your personal life, but personally for you in your life. Yeah. It's to be able to live the life that you want to live. And that could be, you might want to be a workaholic. You're working 80 hours a week and you absolutely love it. Great. That's success for you. It could be a million dollars in the bank. It could be whatever. Um, To me, it's, it's, what you internally feel is that success point. And I think what a lot of people do is they put that external factor yes. and it's, it's not connected to them. And so there's always going to be this disconnect and conflict. And that was the same, like corporate America was not for me. So <laughs> I had to get out of it because I was not happy. I was making great money, but I just wasn't yeah. happy. I wasn't fulfilled. And, and what fulfills me is helping other people. And yeah. I get those comments like, Tom, you know, that training program where I lost 50 pounds feels great. Or Tom, I increased my sales 
I doubled my sales in the last three months. And I, you know, now I'm able to like go on holiday with my family, you know, things like that. That's what just lights me up every day. I love that. And do you feel like what success means to you has changed throughout your life that you've been in like the different points of what that living life on your terms looks like? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, before it was, you know, a fancy car, nice house, um, you know, vacations, you know, ex exotic vacations. Now it's just vacations. So yes. <laughs> I don't have, a, you know what? I'm homeless. I don't have a house. I don't have a car and it's amazing. Isn't that crazy how that's happened? Like we've gone from the American dream being buy a house and own a house and settle down to like buy a van and have only like one Tupperware container full of stuff. Yes. Yeah. It's I mean, true. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know if I would go that far. <laughs> but, you know, I rent an apartment, you know, in a great city in a great neighborhood. So it's, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I've thought about van life a little bit and I was like, it'd be so great just to be a nomad, but then you have the nomad life and you're like, it'd be so great just to like have a house for a day. Right. Like yeah. pick your problems, pick the things you want. So um, before we wrap up, I have a quick random round for you. Is that okay? Okay. All right. If you could have any profession other than what you're doing now, what do you think would be fun to attempt? That's a good one. Um, you know, the, the first one that came to mind when you said that was attorney, which. Just say no. Which I, I know because <laughs> I went down that road once and, you know, talking to a friend to, yesterday about this. It's like, you know, I went to the, the orientation, you know, you want to be a lawyer, Glad, And I was like, hell no. <laughs> yeah. But, I obviously I mean, missed that day. Yeah. But I think that came to mind because, um, like, knowing the the process of like law and the logical steps yes. necessary, I think that that's the skill set. Yeah, it's not you know I want to be a lawyer so I can work at a fancy law firm and blah, which doesn't happen except for the top ten percent, right? But or, or or the ones that really really drive for that. Um, but it's that skill of knowing how to argue, how to negotiate, argue effectively, negotiate, yes. and logically put things together. Because yeah, you know, we're not teaching that to the kids these days. You know, critical thinking. Yeah, it, it doesn't. It doesn't exist. It's like train for the test. Yeah, it's it doesn't true. Help it's true. And I will, I will give you that. And that's what I love about the law. It's interesting because I originally went to school for computer programming and then I ended up in the legal field and then I ended up coaching and everybody's like, those are so different. And I'm like, they're really not like all of them use flowcharts. Like if then statements go through all of those things and it's that logical side of the law that I love so much. That's great. Yeah. Um, if you could time travel, where would you go and why? Um, the Great Gatsby Ooh. Mansion, 1920, New York. Wow. Yeah, that was quick. I like that. Yeah. I like that. I used that. to do an annual martini party. And I, and, I, and I always like, I always felt like, you know, the Great Gatsby having these martinis and stuff. I love that. Um if you were to recommend a book or resource to new business owners or entrepreneurs, 
in any genre of your choice, what do you think it is that everyone needs to read? Um, the Introvert's Edge to Selling. Ooh, I have not Pillard. read that. Yeah. Who's the Edge. author of that? Matthew Pillard. Okay. I will have yeah. to put that on the list. Yeah. Um, and my last question, I am a music nerd, so this is purely selfish because I need new things on my playlist. What is your um, pump-up song? What is that thing that you just have to listen to? My come to stage song is yes. Thunderstruck. Yes. I love that. Um, I was reading somewhere that um, for like $200,000, you can um, hire Steven Tyler to um, perform your wedding um, as, as your priest, like to actually marry you. Oh, <laughs> to like actually do your wedding. Um, I don't, I was scrolling through Facebook and, and that popped up and I was like, I, I, I don't know how I yeah. would feel about having to say my I do's after Steven Tyler, you know, asked the questions. So yeah. um, I do love some Thunderstruck though. Yeah. And I think it's so amazing how music or anything really can put us in that mindset of just being completely energetically charged, which yep. is really cool. Yep. Tom, it's been absolutely amazing connecting with you. I think that you have an incredible approach to communication and sales and lead generation. And it is definitely a weakness of mine that I am growing. So I'm thankful for people like you in the world that are good at it and can guide me. Um, thank you for sharing with our audience. And I really appreciate your time. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on the show. Appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. If anything that was said during this episode resonated with you or provided value in any way, it would mean the world to me if you would head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review for the More Than Corporate Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to do that. I'm really looking forward to connecting with you. If you'd also like to connect, I've created a Facebook group that is full of amazing people who also make it their mission to live their best life every single day. If that sounds like something that you're interested in. The name of that Facebook group is Success Center. Head over there, request to join, and I look forward to connecting with you soon.